0: As we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let us bow for a word of prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Therefore, illumine now our hearts and our minds, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with joy what you have to say to us today. All these prayers we make in the name of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. The Old Testament lesson from the lectionary today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii? And the money given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you done something lavish for God lately? Something extravagant? Something immoderate? Something unrestrained? Have you done something lavish for God? Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet with expensive perfume is a lavish act of love and devotion. It's not the kind of thing that you do every day, or even every year, perhaps only once in a lifetime. But over dinner one evening, Mary decides the time is right, and she empties the perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair. Extravagant indeed. But what do you think of the rationale for this offering? It doesn't seem to be especially calculated, does it? This is an expensive thrill, a luxurious indulgence, and it's over in an instant. Maybe you're like me and you read this text and you think to yourself, what was Mary thinking? What was the point of that? How unwise this splurge seems to be. Judas, of all people, picks up on this and wonders aloud, shouldn't this perfume have been sold and the money given to the poor? And despite Judas's dubious motives, his skepticism resonates with me. What a waste, Mary right i mean honestly with all the need in the world all of the suffering and poverty and lack in the world why would you dump a whole bottle of perfume on jesus's feet at once i mean if it were me and i had a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard i'll tell you what i would have done with it i would have sold it on ebay yeah I mean, who knows how much you could fetch with this costly perfume. Maybe I could have walked away with 500 grand and just think how many people I could have helped with that kind of money. Maybe I could have even put James through one semester of college with that kind of money. (laughs) You know, people pay crazy amounts of money for rare stuff. And it often makes the news. Just recently, someone paid $2.3 million for a Marvel comic at an auction and the football with which Tom Brady threw his last touchdown pass sold for 518 grand just hours before he now announced that he wasn't retiring after all. No take backs. Costly perfume made of pure nard would have had enormous resale value. Judas himself estimates its worth at 300 denarii, which would have been about a year's wages for a laborer. You see, Mary's offering is something that pricks at my good Christian sensibilities a little bit. It makes me want to point my finger and say, that's bad stewardship, Mary. Something of that value could have helped more than one person, and for longer than an instant, right? Surely there could have been a better use of this resource. You see, many of us tend to link the idea of good stewardship or the idea of faithfulness with the ethic of utilitarianism, which is often defined as that which contributes to the greatest good for the greatest number. I usually think to myself, the best offering that I can make to God is the one that meets the biggest need, the most urgent need. For as many people as possible. But Mary's offering fails the utilitarian test instantly, doesn't it? I mean, how is smelling good the greatest good? Now don't get me wrong. There is often good sense in utilitarianism. And the fact that billions of people around the world still cannot meet their most basic needs is surely an indictment on all humanity. First things first, everyone deserves access to food, water, and shelter. Of course, that's true. But still, there's a reason that utilitarianism cannot be equated with Christian stewardship. And that reason is this. Utilitarianism is an ethic of scarcity, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is an ethic of abundance. Utilitarianism is an ethic of scarcity, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of abundance. You see, utilitarianism assumes that resources are scarce and limited, so we must ensure that everyone has the bare minimum, a little piece of a pie that never gets any bigger. But the gospel declares that our God is extravagant. Our Creator is not a God of the least common denominator. Life in Christ is not merely about surviving. It's about abundant life. The kingdom of God is not described as a brown bag lunch. It's described as a lavish feast of rich food. During my last year in seminary in Pittsburgh, I served as a chaplain at a men's shelter downtown. Two nights a week, I would visit with the men and then eat dinner with them. Outside groups would bring in the dinners All sorts of groups, usually churches from around the city. And most of those dinners were more or less the same. A sandwich made with bland white bread, generic grape jelly, hydrogenated peanut butter. A red delicious apple, which are red, but are certainly not delicious. A bag of chips, and if you're lucky, a dry cookie for dessert. You see, groups would try to stretch their limited funds as far as possible. And what's more, these sorts of meals could double as the next day's lunch if there were enough left over at the end of the meeting. You see, these sorts of meals are practical, sensible, utilitarian. One night, a group came that blew everyone away. They laid out ornate tablecloths over those sticky plastic tables, and they set up real floral centerpieces. They served steak and fish, and the men could have their pick of hot bread, salad, baked potatoes with sour cream cheese, bacon bits, the whole nine yards. And the hot meal was served on dishes fit for Christmas dinner, complete with salad plates and real silverware. And of course, there was homemade pie for dessert. Certainly, this was a lavish gift to those men. But the Judas in me wanted to quantify the cost of that food and recalculate in my mind how many more people could have been served if they were working with a budget of $5 per person rather than the $20 per person that they must have spent. You see, I needed to see that that meal was not only filling, it was dignifying. People used to plastic forks held in their hand, both a salad fork and a dinner fork. People chose what to eat among options for the first time in months. And people accustomed to being ignored were offered the careful attention of servers searching for an empty glass to refill. And the conversation over dinner that night was so much more lively than usual. So how about you? Have you done something lavish for God lately? Something extravagant, something immoderate, something unrestrained? Does your discipleship reflect the duty of the lowest common denominator? Or does your discipleship reflect the abundance of the kingdom of God? When was the last time that you did something so lavish for God that it sent adrenaline pulsing through your veins. After all, this is the God who in Christ leaves the 99 for the one, who turns water into wine, who lays down his life for the sins of the world. Jesus rebukes Judas's skepticism and declares that Mary has been saving her lavish offering for the eve of his burial. Mary is aware that there isn't much time left. She's heard Jesus talking about how his hour is drawing near, and so it's now or never, she thinks to herself. It's true that we often give our most generous gifts to those who are dying. We fly across the country to see someone one more time, to tell them how much they mean to us, or to finally make things right, let go of resentments these are lavish offerings of our very selves in their own right and they're evoked by the urgency of the moment while time is running out about four months before my father died he received an unexpected gift from his colleagues at work a plane ticket to australia to attend a collector's conference that he always wanted to go to My family is amazed to this day by the generosity of those with whom he worked. And my dad went and had a great time at the conference. And it all happened right in the nick of time, because just two weeks after he got back, he took a turn for the worse and went on hospice care. Have you done something lavish for God lately? Something extravagant? Something immoderate? Something unrestrained? Have you done something unplanned, but at just the right time? Something that you may not be able to write off on your taxes, but something that will last long after you're gone? When was the last time you did something spontaneous for God that was so big, so lavish, that it wasn't quite even under your control? See what love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, the author of 1 John writes. And it's true that in the end, even our most generous impulses simply reflect God's lavish love for us. Because you see, God does not love us just enough to tolerate us, just enough to settle for us, or just enough to strike a compromise with us. No, God's love is vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. And how do we know? Well, Jesus is on his way to the cross for us right now. And his lavish gift for us there will prove to be the most lavish gift of all. So stay tuned. The hour of his glorification is drawing near. Amen.